Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Well, well, well. Come to find out, Tom Brady is not retired after all. In an utterly shocking development, Tom Brady took to social yesterday to inform the world that he would, in fact, return for another season with the Bucks after emphatically retiring like 40 days ago. You remember that drop on social media, how long it was? You remember all that? I mean, given what he said and how he said it, who the hell saw this coming? Besides everybody in the world not named his wife and his kids. Hell, even they probably knew. If not when he announced his retirement, but probably about three days into his retirement. Brady himself probably knew his retirement was a lie the second he announced it. He probably just saw it as a great opportunity to rip attention away from championship weekend and get people to look at him, look away from the games, and look at him. That's probably what that was. Just like he saw a great opportunity to hijack Selection Sunday yesterday and make an announcement that surprised absolutely nobody at all. Of course this dude is coming back. Most predictable thing ever. And the most tedious dude in America rides yet again. And if you're shocked, you should not be. If you're surprised, you should not be. And if you're excited and you're happy about it, fine, great, whatever. Whatever works for you. I'm not going to say I told you so, but I told you so. In fact, I was willing to accept his unretirement if it meant it would put an end to the nonstop flow of tedious info and speculation and updates from him ever since he quote unquote retired. We were getting it from him every single day. And then yesterday he made it official. He tweeted, quote, these past two months. I've realized my place is still on the field and not in the stands. That time will come, but it's not now. I love my teammates, and I love my supportive family. They make it all possible. I'm coming back from my 23rd season in Tampa, unfinished business, LFG. End of quote. Tell you what. First of all, why don't we start with that first sentence? Have you ever heard a cornier First sentence than that, quote, my place is still on the field and not in the stands. I mean, easy, Walt Whitman. We don't need your eighth grade poetry here, brah. I love the idea also <laughs> that his place was going to be in the stands. Like this dude was just going to show up for every Bucks game with his face painted and cheer on the home team. The hell he was. And the hell... He was going to spend time with his kids. That is so hilarious to me that he says, these past two months. Dude, first of all, you retired about 30 seconds ago. It was last month. It wasn't two months ago. And from the moment you announced it, you were Patrick Peterson sinking the hips and backpedaling your ass off to get away from it. Every single week, there's been at least one indication from him that he was coming back. So, of course, the announcement was coming. And as I mentioned at that time, even when he announced his retirement, he couldn't even commit to the idea of retiring. Remember, he didn't even use the word retiring when he announced he was retiring. So, of course, the guy was coming back. This was always going to happen.
the first announcement about his retirement had some garbage about needing to be, quote, all in. About having, quote, a 100% competitive commitment, end of quote. Which is even more hilarious given that he quit last month and then he came back this month. He quit last month and then he quit retirement. Nothing says all in and 100% competitive commitment like quitting one month and coming back the next. So I guess he was not all in on the family after all. You remember how big a clown show that was? Remember? The news of his retirement leaked on a Saturday. He didn't say anything. Then he did a podcast where he said he had not made a decision and he was thinking it over. And then a few hours later, he released that Magna Carta about retiring. Do you remember that clown show? Do you remember how long that post was about that retirement? The second he dropped that thing, I started reading it. And I just finished about an hour ago. And no sooner than I finished reading that Magna Carta about his retirement, he announces that he's unretired and he's coming back. Like there are New Year's resolutions with more legs than that retirement. Fresh fruit and vegetables, things that Ike knows nothing about. Fresh fruit and vegetables have a longer (laughs) shelf life than this guy's retirement. Except you, Red. All that processed garbage you eat has a shelf life of forever. It can sit in a box forever. Anyway, I love the fact. What's up, Ike? Good to see you again, man. Thanks for still being above ground. I love the fact. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I love this notion. I love the fact that in his tweet, Brady actually says, I love my teammates before he says, I love my supportive family. It's incredible. I love my teammates. He literally gave them top billing over his, quote, supportive family. Remember when Les Snead wore a shirt that said, bleep them picks. F them picks. So good. F them picks. F them picks. It's like Tom Brady is throwing on a shirt that says, bleep them kids. F them picks. Bleep them kids. I mean, all that talk about wanting to spend more time with his family about transitioning into a different phase of his life. And from the moment that reality kicked in, it's like he wanted no part of it. Bleep them kids. Bleep that life. He's sitting around, eating his strawberries and his nightshades, hanging out with his kids. And then he realized, man, my kids are boring as hell. This life is boring as hell. Life with y'all sucks. No offense. Like, I'm not saying you all suck. I'm just saying this all sucks. It's just so boring. I just spent huge chunks. This is what the guy, think about this. This guy's mindset. I just spent two years with Antonio Brown, and I would still rather hang with him than my kids. Right? And don't tell me this is harsh or unfair. Look at the decision he just made. After what he said, what he said when he retired about the need to spend time with his family. Look, I'm sure this dude is about his family. I'm not saying he's not. He probably is about his family. He probably even likes those people. Just not as much as he loves football. It's pretty clear that means more to him than his family. Or he would not have already unretired to join his real family. The Bucks. 
He wants to spend more time with his teammates than with the wife and the kids, obviously. Or you don't make that decision. Urban Meyer, a.k.a. Pervin Liar. And a perv. Pervin Liar cannot believe how Brady used his family as a prop. Stayed to see the grand and then kids. ditched them as quickly as possible. I mean, this dude's practically making Herb look like father of the year material. That's devastating. And, and how do you explain this to your kids? How miserable must this guy have been around the house for everybody to be okay with it? Good, Dad. Why don't you do that? Go back to football. It actually was getting pretty old having you around here, too. Believe us, we're as sick of you as you are of us. Go play another year, Pop. In fact, go play five more years if you want. And of course, he announced it on Selection Sunday. Do you think that he gives one crap at all about college basketball or anything other than him? This is the same guy whose retirement leaked on championship weekend. Of course, he was going to make it about him. When is he not? He has become or became the ultimate look-at-me dude from the very second he escaped from New England. This guy really is making me wish he never left the Patriots. Back then, he never said anything because, you know, the Patriot way. But back then, when he never said anything, he was so much cooler, so much more interesting, so much more interesting when we knew next to nothing about him until we found out what he's really like. I'm telling you, I like that guy so much more when I knew nothing about him. But every time this dude reaches for his phone or opens up his mouth, he makes it all worse, not better. Instead of being one of the more self-aware guys I've ever seen, he's actually one of the worst in that regard. He went from being a stone-cold assassin to like the corniest, most tedious dude around. And now he just won't stop. The only good thing about Tom Brady coming out of retirement is maybe that Tom Brady movie about Tom Brady starring Tom Brady will be postponed. But I doubt that. If there's more money and attention for him, he will find a way to make it work. And how about that person who paid more than a half a mil for Brady's last touchdown ball at auction? An auction that happened on Saturday night. But you want to talk about a speculative stock. How the hell is that person feeling right about now? You drop more than a half a mil on a football. A half a mil. And then a few hours later, it's worthless. That ball is barely worth more than a ball that you could buy at Dick's Sporting Goods right about now. That dude is probably out in the street. Not even on a field, but out in the street. Throwing that ball around with his boys, scuffing the hell out of it. May as well because it's not like it's worth anything right about now. Then again, if you've got that kind of jack to spend on something like that, I think that you'd be more of a shrewd investor. But no shrewd investor would have bet anything at all on this guy staying retired. The question was not whether he'd unretire, but rather how long it would take. And I say this again because if you listen to his retirement announcement, he never actually retired. So yes, Tom Brady is back, but who knows for how long. In fact, I'll give you one more little angle here. I'm not even 100% convinced that he's going to play this season with the Bucs. Yeah, I mean, I know they released a statement about him coming back, but what about all those reports a few weeks back that he didn't like the offense? 
that things were not all put together, and he was not on the same page, and there were other things in the organization that alienated him. Is that still a thing? How about all that speculation that he wanted to go to the team that he grew up idolizing? Frisco. Or was this retirement, quote-unquote, all a ploy to get what he wanted from the organization? But didn't the organization already give him everything he wanted? Who knows, right? Listen, I know some of you are really aggravated by that take, and some of you are really pissed off, and you're fired up that Brady's coming back. Good for you. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. He's welcome to come back. I didn't say I didn't want this guy back, per se. Like, believe me, this guy can still play now. He can still play. He had a great year, and he should play as long as he wants to play and as long as somebody's willing to pay him. That's great. But, but, let's not act like this dude is some sort of hero for coming back. Let's not act like the NFL needed this guy to come back. There's already Joe Burrow. There's already Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and I can keep going. The league was fine without Brady, and it will be fine when he finally does go away. I just wish that he would shut up about all of this. But I know that's not going to happen. The only thing surprising is that he did not fire off that tweet on Thursday when March Madness starts to heat up. In fact, knowing this dude, he may retire on Thursday to try to control the news cycle once again. Can you imagine him, like, on that day making the announcement either way? You're a school like... I don't know. Longwood. Don't do it, clones. Don't do it. You're a school like Longwood. (laughs) So you're Longwood, and you scrape, and you claw, and you fight all season long. You finally get some shine. You finally get on the big stage. And there's old Tommy, the wet blanket, coming in and just (laughs) crushing any spirit you had. Students hyped out of their minds. And Tommy, the baking soda, just sprinkling his boring powder and smothers the life out of you. I'll tell you who I see working, too. The Vikings. Minnesota. I see you. I see you working. Not for signing Kirk Cousins, but for announcing it after Tommy's tweet. You know, you make kind of a bland, uneventful move like re-signing Kirk for a year that fires up pretty much nobody in the city or in the building. Damn right you make that announcement under the Tom Brady hype fog. My bottom line point, great, he's back. One, don't act surprised. And two, it's fine if you're happy about that and you want to see the guy play again. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Just do not act like this guy's a hero and somehow save the NFL by coming back. I mean, come on, stop with that. Listen. The very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then... Automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio. That keeps your investments close to where you want them. That way your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups needed. Visit m1finance.com sports. 
That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud super fans of M1. That's M, the number one dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Good friend of the program. He is John Rothstein. John, what's going on? How are you feeling this morning? Happy holidays, Jim. Great to be with you. Good to have you back. All right, so having you on the show on Monday after Selection Sunday, as I mentioned, John, has become something of a tradition. In fact, a tradition unlike any other. You always break down every single region. You give them a new name. Why don't we start in the West and the number one seed, Gonzaga? What would you call the region, and how do you see it stacking up? I see Gonzaga. I see Chet Holmgren. I see Duke potentially starting five first-round picks. I see a player on Notre Dame in the playing game, Blake Wesley, who's a freshman who has a great future. And I see Memphis freshman Jalen Duran as a lottery pick in June's NBA draft. Jim, the West region, the region of prospects. All right, then. Joff Rothstein joining us. John, I should say, what about Chet? Chet Holmgren, when people, if they have not seen Gonzaga play, John, what are they going to see when they see Chet Holmgren taking the floor? Somebody that gives a completely different feel to the position that he plays than maybe anybody that we've seen in college basketball. And I am not saying he is going to captivate a nation over the next three weeks like this person, but understand the reference. Chet Holmgren is going to make people's heads spin during the NCAA tournament, a lot like Michael Vick made their heads spin when he played the quarterback position at Virginia Tech. Jim, you have a guy who can be a shot blocker on defense and a capable three-point shooter on offense who's over seven feet tall, who can single-handedly block a shot, get a defensive rebound, and then go coast-to-coast like butter and toast. Shout-out to the woman Al Pacino circa early 1990s. Love it. John Rothstein joining us. Now, John, nobody would argue that Duke does not have a ton of talent. We're talking about starting five potential first-round picks, but then they have a game like Coach K's final home game against North Carolina or the ACC tourney against Virginia Tech. When you look at this Duke team right now, what do you see? I see a team that has one of the highest ceilings in college basketball. I see a team that, as I mentioned, potentially starts five first-round picks. But the one thing that Duke does not have is NCAA tournament experience. The most NCAA tournament experience on Duke's roster comes from Theo John, a Marquette transfer, who was a part of the Marquette team three years ago, Jim, that was ambushed, destroyed, and really chopped up into little pieces by John Morant and Murray State. John Rothstein joining us. John, you mentioned Notre Dame in the build-up to this. You're going to be on the sideline for the call of Rutgers-Notre Dame in the playing game in the tournament. What are your early thoughts on that matchup? Well, Rutgers, in my opinion, has been a completely different team throughout the second half of the season and has proven its ilk against the competition of the Big Ten, which had nine teams in the NCAA tournament. It's very rare to me to see the ACC viewed in the light that it's viewed in this year. I mean, Jim, look at the representation in the NCAA tournament. Virginia Tech gets the automatic qualifier. Duke, Carolina, Miami, Notre Dame. Five out of 15 schools from the ACC in the NCAA tournament. That is just one-third of the league. Steve Peichel, and this is not getting talked about enough, has led Rutgers to -to back-to-back NCAA tournaments for the first time since 1975 and 1976. In 76, 
They went to the Final Four. How long ago is that, Jim? In 1976, the original Star Wars hadn't even hit theaters yet. No, I know this. Believe me, I was old enough. I was a kid growing up. I remember exactly when it did, 77. And I remember waiting on that line, John, and it was not a short line. John Rostein joining us. John, skip on over to the right side of the bracket. Talk about the South region, a.k.a. the region of star power, as you have glossed it. Why is this the region of star power? Ben Matherin's going to explode for Arizona like a volcano in the NCAA tournament. Illinois has the most physically imposing force that I've ever covered in college basketball in Kofi Coburn. Colorado State's got a star on Mountain West and David Roddy. Michigan has Hunter Dickinson. Tennessee has Kennedy Chandler. And, of course, last and certainly not least, Villanova has Colin Gillespie who's in his 17th year of college basketball. The South region, the region of star power. Hey, John, given where Arizona was when Tommy Lloyd took over, what do you make of the fact that they're a number one and one of the favorites to win the whole thing? How do you explain that? Well, when you are evaluating assistant coaches who can be future head coaches, normally you base, obviously, their credentials based on their recruiting prowess. Tommy Lloyd created an international pipeline to Gonzaga as the top assistant at Gonzaga. But you never really know how somebody is going to be as a head coach until they take over a program themselves. Tommy Lloyd has done an incredible job at Arizona. And, Jim, here's the thing that I think really needs to be pointed out more. Tommy Lloyd has been complete class in acknowledging the roster that Sean Miller left him. This was obviously a team that was recruited and put together by Sean Miller. Not a lot of guys would do that. Tommy Lloyd has. John Rothstein is joining us. John, one more thought about the South. It also has Ohio State as a 7, taking on Loyola as a 10. Thanks to Sister Jean, the Ramblers have been a sentimental pick for years. There's temptation to do it once again. Should people bite that hook? Do you like Loyola in that matchup? And if not, why not? Ohio State's been banged up for weeks. It makes complete sense to take Loyola Chicago in this matchup. But Chris Holtman has been in the NCAA tournament at Butler and Ohio State. Drew Valentine has never been in the NCAA tournament as a head coach. It makes complete sense to pick Loyola Chicago, and that's obviously where logic points if you're looking at your compass, but there is no such thing as logic in college basketball. want to see, obviously, how banged up the Buckeyes are heading into this game, but I think it's a 50-50 game. I'm going to give the edge to Ohio State. All right, John, why don't we go to the East, the region of branding. Why is that, and what are your early thoughts on that region? Baylor's your one seed that is defending national champions. Kentucky's Kentucky at the two. Purdue is three. Texas is six. UCLA is four. And North Carolina, Blue Blood Program, is an eight, hence the region of branding. I look at the top of the bracket. I like Baylor, obviously, moving on to play UCLA in the Sweet 16. And I've got Purdue and Kentucky at the bottom. I like a UCLA-Kentucky regional final in Philadelphia with the Wildcats marching on representing the region of branding in the Final Four. Really interesting. Now, what about, you want to talk interesting, John, what about that matchup? The thing that jumps out to me, Virginia Tech as an 11 going up against Texas. A really tough matchup from my guy Chris Beard and his guys. How do you see that game going? Well, I think you've got a scenario where we have Texas, okay, a team that came in as the quote-unquote winner of the transfer portal in the offseason, a team that never really had its rhythm and chemistry down to a T. And that is showed with how they played late in the year. And then you've got a situation where you have a Virginia Tech team that dominated Duke from tip 
to finish in the ACC tournament title game with a roster gym where four starters, Hunter Couture, Storm Murphy, Justin Mutz, and Kebe Aluma, all either began their career at mid-major programs or initially committed to mid-major programs out of high school. It goes to show you that talent isn't everything. It also goes to show you Mike Young is wringing out the sponge in Blacksburg. That was a tremendously underrated hire by Whit Blackstock. No doubt about that. They're dangerous. They're really dangerous. I am pumped to announce that Manscaped has launched their ultra-premium collection. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. So join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code ROAM. You can now enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra-premium collection. This package includes Manscaped Premium Deodorant, it dries clear, it's aluminum-free, and it smells like their signature scent. Plus, their hydrating body moisturizer. It's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. And body wash with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. Two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with one easy step. And a free gift. A three-pack set of lip balm that's made up with ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. I'm telling you, this package is incredible. Get that ultra-premium collection hot right off the shelves. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Rome at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code Rome at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. John Rothstein just rolling right through the brackets. Why don't we go to the Midwest? Kansas is the number one seed there. No surprise. They're a one once again. But, John, in your mind, is this a great Kansas team, or do you see some vulnerabilities? It is a Kansas team that has played exceptionally well late in the year. They're the one seed. Auburn has been extremely shaky in the backcourt all season long. Auburn's troika of guards. Wendell Green, Zeph Jasper, and also Katie Johnson were a combined 7 of 34 from the field in an SEC tournament loss to Texas A&M. Providence is the four seed. They are very, very shaky, in my opinion, after getting ambushed and beaten to a pulp against Creighton in the Big East tournament. And then Wisconsin, the three seed, not only lost early in the Big Ten tournament, but also lost its last regular season home game at the Cold Center against Nebraska. I see the Midwest region. I see the region of vulnerability. And if you're going to make one outside-the-box pick to go to the Final Four, it should be out of the Midwest region. And, Jim, i got to vent a little bit right now. It's not an oversight. It is a flat-out insult that more people are not looking at Keegan Murray as the person that's playing the best basketball in the country right now. Now, look, I named Oscar Shibwe my national player of the year. He deserved it. Johnny Davis was right behind him. Jabari Smith from Auburn, Duke Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, they're all going to be discussed as the top picks in June's NBA draft, which, by the way, we do too much of in the media until the NCAA term is over. But if you're looking right now 
at who is playing the best right now in the sport, it's Keegan Murray. Jim, in the Big Ten tournament, he averaged 28 and 8, shot an incomprehensible 61% from three. And if you put Keegan Murray, with all due respect to Iowa's program, and I talked about this last week with Brandon McCaffrey, on a blue blood program like Michigan State or Kentucky or North Carolina, he would be universally viewed as the best player in college basketball. I'm rolling the dice. I'm going to quote the late Jim Fossil, the great coach of the New York Giants who led them into the Super Bowl. I'm shoving my poker chips to the middle of the table. I'm taking Iowa to the Final Four. My man, I've never heard you so fired up about any one guy, and I love Jim Fossil. I really do. He used to be great on this show. I love the reference. We're talking to John Rothstein for a few more moments. John, my guy Ed Cooley in Providence are the four in the Midwest. You spoke to him yesterday as part of CBS Sports Network's coverage of the bracket, but I know you're high on South Dakota State. Who do you like in that matchup? I'm taking the Jackrabbits, and this is the thing, and I'm writing about this tomorrow, Jim, in my daily column, The Breakfast Buffet, that Providence fans have to grasp. The NCAA tournament can make a great regular season mediocre and a mediocre regular season great. Providence has had a dream season. Providence has had a season that everybody up until now will remember forever. But I will say this, two seasons stand out. For the Providence fan of this generation, 87 going to a Final Four with Rick Pitino and 97 going to an Elite Eight with Pete Gillen, where they lost in overtime to Arizona, the eventual national champion. Providence has won a Big East regular season title for the first time ever. They have their highest NCAA tournament seed ever. But if Providence does not win two NCAA tournament games over the next week, this season will feel like something was left on the table the landscape changes when you win two in the ncaa tournament and get to the second weekend that is something that providence is going to have to face and deal with and i gotta tell you they have got a very difficult first round matchup in south dakota state and when i look at the anatomy of a sleeper i want to know this do you have experience do you have returning personnel can you shoot the three and is there a culture of winning South Dakota State checked all the boxes. A year ago, South Dakota State went into the Summit League tournament and expected to win, and somebody named Max Aismas and Oral Roberts took over and became a March Madness darling. Not this year. They haven't lost since early December. They've won 30 games. They're shooting over 44% from three as a team, and they have a player, 6'6 point forward Baylor Shireman, who reminds me a lot of Stephen F. Austin star Thomas Walkup led Stephen F. Austin when Brad Underwood was the coach to an upset over West Virginia in the round of 64 in the 2016 NCAA tournament. South Dakota State checked all the boxes as a team that could beat Providence. I'm taking the Jackrabbits. He's putting on a Monday clinic. He is John Rothstein. John, one last thought, non-tournament news, Georgia. Hired Florida head coach Mike White as their new head coach. He went to an Elite Eight in his second season with the Gators, but things have been slipping ever since. Exactly what happened there, and do you think that he's the guy to turn it around at Georgia? Well, let's just first off like look at the credentials for a second because Mike White is was the only coach in the SEC okay, this past year that had won a game in each of the last four NCAA tournaments. Obviously, Florida didn't make it this year. Jim, you've been doing this longer than I have, so you know how the saying goes. You never want to be the guy that follows the guy. Mike White, okay, by regular terms, had a very, very good tenure at the University of Florida. 
he did not do what Billy Donovan did. The next guy, I think, who Florida hires will have a greater chance to try and elevate things to that level. So he goes to Georgia. It's an interesting move, and it brings up an interesting dynamic. Because a year ago, when Chris Beard left Texas Tech for Texas, he said, well, that's his alma mater. I get it. Very rarely do we see in-conference coaching changes. We're starting to see now maybe the floodgates open in that regard. And I think if you're an athletic director right now at the power conference level in college basketball, you've got Missouri, you've got LSU, you've got Florida, you've got Maryland, you've got Louisville. You better hire yourself a basketball coach and a good one, and you better do it soon because a lot of the guys that you want to hire – are playing Thursday and Friday and maybe beyond. And, Jim, the last time I checked, it's 1.15 Eastern on the East Coast. And I'm not really concerned about when the day is going to end because you know the rules. We sleep in May. <laughs> we do. I-, I think that's a great point you make, John. One last stop because you mentioned LSU. Not that there's such a thing as a free spin, but when you're filling out your bracket, is Iowa State over LSU pretty much a free spin given that the Tigers fired Will Wade? I think if you don't think Iowa State in this game, you're crazy. Iowa State has struggled after a 12-0 and start. They're 8-12. and But how can an LSU team go into an NCAA tournament game? How can an LSU team function in the NCAA tournament game when their head coach on Saturday was fired after the SEC tournament. But, Jim, let's look at the bigger picture right here, okay? That game is a little bit of a wash. If Wisconsin can get by Colgate, which the game will be played at Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin has an outstanding chance and has things aligned to get to the second weekend because Wisconsin will play in Milwaukee and also play a team in the round of 32 that will either be struggling in Iowa State, who again is 8-12 and after starting the season, 12-0, and or LSU doesn't have their head coach. I look at the region of vulnerability. I see the Badgers as having a great chance to get to the second weekend. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? Let me talk NCAA tournament for just one moment. Let's get into it briefly. Like, if Tom Brady were not Tom Brady, I would have led the show with the best Monday of the year, Bracket Monday. You know, the day after the selection. We've got our field of 68. Now it's time to put in the work. Now it's time to start planning how to get out of work on Thursday and Friday. If you don't know my drill for that, I will give you my annual rundown a little bit later on in the week. But for now... Why don't we just bask in the glow of a perfect, spotless bracket? Every one of us has that right now. It's all right in front of us. And we're all of the belief that this might be the year. This might be the year you get it 100% correct. I mean, why wouldn't we think that? Everybody thinks that to start the year. Now, if you need a mindset change or you need to flip your attitude, you're going to get it right now. Here is a guy who I think we should all channel going into the bracket when we sit down to fill it out. It's UAB's 
Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker nailed it in my mind. I said it before. We're not scared of nobody. Like we got across our chest to say no quit. It don't matter who you are. It don't matter what's across your chest. We coming at you. We coming at you. You know how I always say now, either you make it better or you make it worse. That's a guy who makes it better. I love that. You know what I love? I love that energy. We coming at you. I love that energy. That should not just be. I do we like that energy. You. This dude's got great energy. Like that should not only be a mindset for the bracket or the tournament. That should be a mindset for your entire life. Quote, it don't matter who you are. It don't matter what's across your chest. We coming at you. We coming at you. That's a life mindset, not just a bracket mindset. All right, so with that in mind, we coming at you. You know who everybody is coming at? Gonzaga. Everybody's coming at the team with Gonzaga across their chest. They are the number one overall seed. Let's get this out of the way. They should be. They should be. They have three losses. One to Duke, one to Bama, and one to their in-conference rival, St. Mary's, which is never an easy game. They are legit. So do not come in here and try to tell me that the Zags are a paper tiger or that they're overrated or that they underachieve in the tournament or that Mark Few needs to do anything at all to solidify his legacy. They have two National Player of the Year candidates. It's a team that went to the championship game last year. They've been in the national championship game in two of the last four tournaments. There are plenty of great coaches, great coaches, who have never done anything close to that. So keep moving with that crap. Just get that bull crap out of here. If they don't win it this year, it's not going to be because they play in some weak conference. It's not going to be because they don't have a great program. It's not going to be because Few is not a legendary coach. That's all crap. If they don't win it this year, it's going to be because it's really freaking hard to win a national championship. And for more proof of how good Gonzaga is, one of the other number one seeds is coached by a former Zags assistant. Tommy Lloyd is in his first year with Arizona, and he's won the Pac-12 regular season and tournament titles, and they're number one in the South. I mean, that's mind-blowing to me. Not that long ago at the Feds, we're looking into that program. Can you imagine this guy not only coming in as a first-year head coach there, but a first-time head coach? And leading them on a run. And by the way, they're good enough. They're good enough to win it all. I'll say it again. Arizona is good enough to win it all. Then you've got Kansas. What else is new? A number one in the Midwest. Baylor, the defending champs. Number one in the East. So you can't really make an argument against any of those number ones. But that's when things start to get interesting. Now, I'm not going to say the selection committee screwed up. But the selection committee did make some really interesting choices. As an example, certainly Duke is Duke, but they're a number two in the West. Duke is a two. Duke is not playing well right now. So they're a two. Tennessee gets bumped down to a three. Now, not quite as egregious as when an undefeated Wichita State team had to face Kentucky in the second round, but still pretty bad. Now, I'm not going to go all stat head on you, break out a bunch of computer rankings and a protractor, 
but it sure feels like the committee gave Coach K a going-away present by putting him on the two-line. Now, granted, that's not an easy way to get out. He's going to have to deal with some really challenging things early on, but they did put him on the two-line. Tennessee, if you want to make an argument for them, they did just win the SEC tourney. They have won seven straight. They have won 12 of 13. They have only lost one game since late January. They're locked in on defense. They're tough as hell. Not only are they not playing like a three seed, they're playing like a team that could go to the Final Four. Duke, meantime, lost their last regular season game at home. They beat a couple of cupcakes in the ACC tourney. Then they got hammered by Virginia Tech. Not exactly the dominance that you would expect from a two seed. And then speaking of the Hokies, they're lined up against Texas in the first round. That is one of the most interesting first-round matchups. And that's not going to be an easy matchup at all for Chris Beard and company. Not the way Virginia Tech is playing. Man, the hell, they're an 11 seed. No way they're an 11 seed. Listen, the very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio. That keeps your investments close to where you want them. That way your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups needed. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud super fans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. A good friend of the program, he is Charles Robinson. Lots to cover. We got to get right to it. Charles, what's up? How are you? Doing well, brother. How you doing today? Good, dude. Good. Thanks so much for doing it. Really appreciate it. So Tom Brady announced his retirement last month. As you know, you made the point that the biggest question was, how would Brady react when a team reached out to him? Because you knew the call was probably going to come at some point. We didn't even get to that point, And now he's coming back. What is your reaction to all of this? Yeah, I mean, he. I think he sent plenty of signals, you know, from the moment, you know, he retired on. It was, he was very ambiguous about, um, making definitive statements that, Hey, I'm, I'm absolutely done. Here's what I'm doing next. Here's, you know, and it, it, I don't think he ever fully closed that door. And, you know, again, I think that the point here was he departed in a season where he's second in MVP voting, like one of the greatest seasons he's ever had in his career. And there was plenty left there for him. And, And I think what was interesting was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers we're like, hey, the door's open. Whatever you want to do, you know, um, we're gonna make we're gonna make some preparations. We'll do our homework, kick tires, and some other quarterbacks up into the combine. Um, but hey, up until free agency, we're we're not we're not doing anything at the position until we know for sure that you're you're not gonna be back um, before free agency. So, um, you know, I think the Bucks played it the way that they had to. I think, you know, Brady. Uh, <laughs> I thought the best tweet I saw was somebody said, you know, Tom just spent six weeks 
uh, in the pickup line at his kid's school and said, I'm not going out like this. <laughs> so, it's, uh, it's a better league with him back in it, and, and if anything, it definitely shakes up uh, probably the Deshaun Watson picture a little bit. I think. All right, so we'll get to that in a minute. Charles Robinson joining us. So one more thought on that. Like, to your point, knowing all of that and knowing that he pretty much, from the moment he announced his retirement, he was already hinting that he was coming back. So why do you think he retired in the first place? You know, I I don't know. It's a good question. I, I really I think that's something that we're going to have to figure out moving forward. I don't know if I, I think if you're conspiratorial, there was a little bit of an emotional element to how the season ended. Um, you know, I, I think he couldn't have been happy with that. The last game against the Rams, you know, it was I think there was probably a feeling that, hey, if we go to overtime against this team, um, you know, we don't call a zero blitz with, you know, the opposing team having no timeouts and a hurt kicker. You know, there's a chance we get to overtime, we win this game. And part of me wonders if he watched the Rams go on to win that Super Bowl. And, and I kind of made the point when the Rams won the Super Bowl, you know, Buccaneers fans and Brady are probably a little upset right now because they're sitting there going, you know what, we totally could have run it back this year and, and won this thing. And, you know, I think maybe that that's part of what gets the competitive juices flowing. But I, I won't leave out the the possibility that he was a little bit frustrated, maybe with Bruce Arians in the front office, and you know things maybe weren't perfect. And as time went on, um, you know, it settled down a little bit. He he had a chance to meet with ownership, obviously, when he went to the Manchester United game over the weekend, and maybe a little maybe a little of emotion crept in there. I can't say that I know that definitively, but I do think that question that you just asked is something that should continue to be asked over the next you know, season. I'd be curious to know why he made that decision at that point and what changed it. Agreed. Charles Robinson is joining us. All right, so you mentioned Deshaun Watson. As you reported, in Tom Brady's absence, Tampa Bay had been looking into Deshaun Watson. Obviously, they're no longer interested in him. So where do things stand with Watson following Friday's announcement that he will not face criminal charges? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because at the Combine, I met with a team that, that had Watson on their docket to, you know, pursue him. And, you know, they said, look, we think we're, we're going to be behind, that he really likes Tampa and that if, if he were sort of forced to nail down um, a pecking order of teams that he likes right now, Tampa's at the top. And, you know, I, the, the Buccaneers, I think they slow played it a little bit more. I, particularly at the Combine, it was clear that they were not, you know, in, in a big hurry to – engage with with the Texans and they were really slow rolling it and now looking back I'm like maybe that's because they knew there was really a possibility that Brady was coming back into the fold I do think though for a number of teams including the Buccaneers at that time it was sort of the element of okay there's this grand jury proceeding how is this going to go for Deshaun Watson and obviously um, you know it went in his favor there were nine counts he could potentially have been indicted on and he wasn't indicted on a single one and I think for a number of teams the Panthers the New Orleans Saints, um, you know, I still, I absolutely will not rule Philly out of this. I, I know Philly would like to be taken out of it, but until Philly definitively comes out and says, no way, we're not getting involved with this, I think there are probably a couple mystery teams in this. All looked at that um, ruling by the grand jury and said, okay, well, at least in the, in the element of, uh, uh, you know, a jury, a, a jury sitting there and being presented with the data and, and testimony of at least one alleged victim, um, for them to not indict on a single count gives us an opportunity to turn to a fan base if we if we were to trade for this guy and say, look, there was an opportunity to indict him criminally. It didn't happen. He's going to go through 
the civil aspect of it, we're gonna we're gonna you know stand with him, and and whatever happens happens, and he'll take that and move forward. Um, definitely changed the tenor of of the pursuit for a, a multitude of teams when it comes to Deshaun Watson. Charles Robinson, senior NFL reporter for Yahoo, joining us once again. So, what do you make of the news this morning that Mitchell Trubisky is going to the Steelers? For instance, what kind of expectations would you have for him as a starter again? And do you think that he will be the guy there? I, I was a little surprised because I, you know, I had a chance to talk to a few teams that were going to be pursuing uh, Mitchell Trubisky as an option to come in and basically push for a starting job, to compete for a starting job. And it was crystal clear that the New York Giants, at least from competitors, were perceived as it's, it's like a done deal. He's, he's going to end up with Brian Dayball in New York. He's going to compete for the job with Daniel Jones. Um, I think what ultimately happened, though, is Pittsburgh entered the chat, and the path to a starting job is is much clearer in Pittsburgh than in a place like New York, where you know Jones has had some, um, you know, he's had some decent runs at times. He's obviously got the first round uh, aspect tied to him. It's completely different in Pittsburgh, you know, the the value in terms of the investment of uh, Mason Rudolph and really anyone on that quarterback depth chart. Um, it's wide open. So I, I want to see what the deal looks like. I have not seen the deal yet, but I think that will speak to um, really how Pittsburgh wants this to go with Mitchell Trubisky. But from my vantage looking at it, I, I think it's pretty clear that the Steelers are bringing him in to be the starting quarterback. Like I think they would be disappointed if they brought him in and for some reason he doesn't have that starting job. Charles Robinson joining us. So how about this? In the last few days, we've had the Calvin Ridley gambling suspension the Aaron Rodgers news, the Russell Wilson trade, the Carson Wentz trade, the Deshaun Watson news, Tom Brady coming out of retirement. I mean, dude, right. what an amazing, crazy run. What are the stories are you looking at right now? Is there anything else? Like, what else could you see happening in the next few days or weeks that moves the needle? Well, I think, you know, Devontae Adams, number one, I think that's going to be interesting to see kind of how that starts to unfold because he's not going to play on the franchise tag for the Packers. He's made that clear to them. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, part of why this has lingered on and Rodgers hasn't signed his deal um, is at least in part because he wants Devontae Adams to to get his contract extension and Rodgers didn't want to be an impediment to, um, you know, Devontae Adams essentially getting paid. But what's interesting here for Adams is that, you know, he wants to be the highest paid wide receiver in the game. And, basically teams are sitting there looking at the Larry Fitzgerald deal and going, that's a terrible deal. Like no one should sign a wide receiver to this kind of money. And and now Devonte Adams ultimately wants to exceed it. So, you know, to me, that's, that's a huge one that's, that's going to unfold. And, and really Watson again, um, whatever team trades for him, uh, it's, there's a lot ahead for, for Deshaun Watson. And, and one of the things I think that's being left out of the reporting right now, when you talk to the team's, um, that are pursuing Watson and, and that want to meet with him, and you ask them, what about the NFL's investigation? Right. They're, start, they're starting from the baseline of, well, you have to presume the, the, the worst in our minds. That's that, at the very least, he could get a six-game suspension. Antonio Brown, they're kind of looking for comps. They're like, Antonio Brown got a six-game suspension. So if it's a personal conduct violation that's similar to what, um, what basically the, the league came up with with Antonio Brown – we're going to be without the guy for at least six games um, next season. So I just think from a baseline, it's really interesting that teams are starting off from the idea that we have to accept 
there's a, a very you know high uh, percentage chance that he gets suspended the first six games of the 2022 season. At least, at least we're talking about 22 people who have accused him of things of that nature. I, I think at least six games when you look at precedent. Really quickly, the expectation is that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be on the move at some point. In your mind, is that like a done deal? Is that inevitable? And if so, what would the market be for him? I... I wish I could tell you the Jimmy G market was going to be. I've seen people say, well, you know, Indianapolis um, makes the most sense. And, and, but when I've talked to teams that have looked at Jimmy G and that are looking at, you know, backups who can be competitive, one thing that they say is, like, okay, compare the, the A, is there a quarterback there now who's better than Jimmy Garoppolo? So, for example, let's say the Cleveland Browns who would love to, you know, have, have a quarterback who could compete with Baker. Baker's a, they, you know, I would say the Cleveland Browns are like, no, Baker's clearly a better player than Jimmy G. So why would we go down that, that path? The Indianapolis Colts, if you're trading out Carson Wentz for Jimmy Garoppolo, are you really improving? Like, is that, is it, are you really, if it's a marginal improvement, how is that really much of an improvement at all for, for the Colts? Because you're, you're essentially in the same place, but just with a different guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, Trubisky had to get out of the way first. So that that's the biggest deal here is that now he's off the table. Some of these other teams that were looking at, um, you know, bringing in a backup quarterback to compete, and I really truly believe that's what Jimmy would be for most suitors. Um, that's what I would start to look at is, is, you know, where are now these teams that were in the market for Trubisky and now are, are off the table, or right. he's off the table. All right, so we covered a lot of great ground really quickly. Since you mentioned the Browns, I'm curious, if Baker Mayfield is right physically – how do you think Amari Cooper feels about going there where he can be that legitimate number one? And how do you think those two will do? Uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting because it's, you asked the question, like if it's Baker, if it's healthy Baker, if it's uh, the, the 2020 season Baker, you know, I think he's fine. And I think that offense runs well and, and it's a big addition for the Browns. But, um, you know, I think the Browns trading for Amari Cooper showcases something that was probably going on behind the scenes, which was, they probably wanted to get in the market for one of these top receivers. Some of them came off the board, and the ones that didn't, the first question the agent asks in any negotiation is, who's the quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Baker? Because if it's going to be Baker, the price is probably going to be a little bit higher for us to come to Cleveland because you know Baker could potentially be an impediment to the performance of, of my player. So I think that's part of what motivated the, the Amari Cooper deal. That and any player they would have signed, any top-tier wide receiver was going to get $20 million year one. You trade for Amari Cooper, he's getting $20 million in year one. And, oh, by the way, you can, you can cut him. You can get all, away from that salary after one year, too. So, um, you know, I, I think that did play into – I think Baker's, you know, how he played last season probably played into whether any top-tier wide receiver would actually want to sign in Cleveland. Right. I, I like it, actually, right, because they can get out from underneath that contract in one year. It's going to cost you $20 mil anyway. I like that deal. Right. I like that deal for them. He's a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo. He is host of You Pod to Win the Game. He is a friend of the program, and he just broke it all down. My man, Charles, great job, dude. Appreciate you as always. Thanks for it. All right. Thanks, Jim. I am pumped to announce that Manscaped has launched their ultra-premium collection. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. So join the 4 million men worldwide 
who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code Rome. You can now enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra premium collection. This package includes Manscaped premium deodorant, it dries clear, it's aluminum free, and it smells like their signature scent. Plus, their hydrating body moisturizer. It's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. And body wash with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. Two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with one easy step. And a free gift. A three-pack set of lip balm that's made up with ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. I'm telling you, this package is incredible. Get that ultra-premium collection Hot right off the shelves. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Rome at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code Rome at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. Jordan Bohannon is my guest. Jordan, it is so good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It is so good to have you. So I know that winning a Big Ten championship was a goal for you ever since you arrived on campus. Knowing that, how does it feel to wake up this morning as a Big Ten champ? Does it live up to the hype? Unreal. I can't even put into words. This is something you dream about as a kid and um, still doesn't feel real. But having that trophy on the plane, um, bringing it back and landing in Iowa City, it's a uh, memory I'll definitely have for the rest of my life. That's cool. So if we go back to Saturday's game and that game-winning three in the semi against Indiana, that's a shot that has already gone down in school history. Can you take us through the play? What did you see? And then how did it feel when it did go down? Man, it was just a crazy um, last two minutes of that game. They made a huge run. I think they went nine with uh, about two and a half minutes. You know, I got high, hit a couple threes, got open, and, you know, I was able to – stay aggressive, be confident, you know, ran a play, Indiana covered it well, and I just ran to the ball, and I was able um, to, you know, get a quick pull-up shot at the end of the shot clock, and um, being a shooter, you kind of just knew, you know, it was online, I felt, I felt, felt pretty good about it when it was in there. Jordan Bohan's joining us, you know, you're coming, you're playing in a really fierce conference, so you guys win four games in four days, which is an incredible grind, again, especially in that meat grinder of a conference, yet you guys looked rested and refreshed in the second half yesterday, how much of that is about conditioning, and then how much of that is about team depth? Um, it's definitely both, you know, it was really great for us, uh, we played one of our best basketball games against Northwestern in the first round, so a lot of the starters actually you know, we didn't play that much amount of time, so I think that helped us a lot, you know, making this deep run in the Big Ten tournament. So, obviously, our bench came in, played well, um, gave myself a break, gave Keegan breaks when he needed it, and um, we had so many guys on the team that step up in huge moments. All right, so I'm curious. You come from an extremely successful basketball family, and you've said that you hear it all the time on social and from traditional media, what your older brothers accomplished that you had not yet accomplished. I mean, there's so much pressure on you, especially coming out of high school. So how good does it feel to fight through all of that, make that name for yourself, and win that conference title? It's been a blessing. You know, I've, I've, I've had an advantage with my three little brothers. They've all won conference titles themselves, two in the Big Ten, one in the MVC. Um, growing up in a, in a tremendous athletic family, my dad playing quarterback at Iowa here in the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, I just saw I've had a lot of advantages, but I also put a lot of pressure on myself to try to live up to that hype. And it was really hard at times. I'm not going to lie to you, but you know, a lot of great people I kept in my circle and continue to keep me, you know, humble and understanding that I need to, you know, put my head down and work every single day. 
I mean, dude, for real. Like, it's one thing to have, like, one sibling that you're constantly compared to, but multiple siblings and a father. This is not an easy thing. So I appreciate that candor. That could not have been easy. So at the end of January, you guys were sitting at 4-6 and six in conference, and some of those losses had been really tight. So I'm curious, what was the mood like around the program and in the locker room at that time? We just kept saying how close we were. That's, that's honestly what it was. You know, we lost two um, – then he was three games in a row at one at one point of the season, and um, you know guys are definitely down. At, uh, obviously, after losing a few games in a row, but you know the leadership that I've tried to provide, and obviously Connor McCaffrey's been there. You know Austin Ash has been with the program for a while. We just continue to you know keep that positive light around the team because we knew how close we were. Um, obviously at Purdue uh, earlier in the season, we played them at home or at, at their place without Keegan, and we were right there. So. Uh, we just kept, you know, staying positive and kept putting our head down and working every single day and um, kept you know, being grateful for every single moment that we have because, you know, this season goes by in a blinking eye and we just try to make the most of every single day. So I'm curious, Jordan, how do you approach leadership? As an example, it seems to me if you're a high-level D1 athlete, there is enough to concern yourself with concerning yourself with yourself and everything that goes on around you. But what about everything else in that locker room? How do you approach the leadership? And, you know, what's, what's the challenge in that? Like in focusing on you and then guys around you and making them better too. It's been a learning experience for myself individualized. You know, I've been on teams where we won 14 and 19 my sophomore year. And now it's just, you know, miserable, you know, going to practice every day and, you know, being around the city and, you know, people don't treat you that well when you're losing games. So, you know, I've been around that environment. And once, you know, you kind of experience the lows of life, you, it really prepares you for, you know, trying to do something successful. And um, I think the main thing I learned that you just can't talk to every single teammate the same way. Some guys take, you know, conversation differently and how you talk to them and how you approach them. And that's something I've learned through the years that every single teammate that I have is different and how you need to approach and I think that's definitely, you know, how our our leaders are approaching it, uh, that mentality for leadership-wise as well. Jordan Bohan, my guest, I think what you just said is really interesting. I want to ask you about that. When you said when we're 14 and 19, we're miserable. Like, we are miserable. And I would imagine nobody feels worse about that than you. But to your point about when you're in a small town and you're going around town, it's not a lot of fun and people aren't treating you real well. I'm kind of curious, like— what is the experience like? Will people roll up on you either on campus or off campus and say, hey, man, what's going on? Or, hey, man, you suck. Or, hey, man, why aren't you guys doing better? Like, exactly what is it like? It, I mean, it's kind of just how you just put it. You know, you go places and, you know, there there's days my sophomore year where I didn't want to go out in public. You know, I was embarrassed of, you know, how we were playing. And, um, you know, I was myself, I was bound through in, injuries, obviously, and some of the guys on our team as well. So, um, it's kind of just that thing you have to realize that, you know, the people that you're playing for are in the locker room. You don't, you don't need to take any from outside. Um, no matter what anyone says, they have no idea what's going on with your, your, own, your own head, what other people are going through in the locker room. That you know, the most important people are in that locker room, and that's why I learned, you know, from an early age that keeping your, your circle tight is the most important thing you can do in life. You do understand that. You have to keep your circle tight. And if you let others define how you feel about yourself, it's going to be a hard life to be sure. Jordan Bohannon is joining us. So let me ask you about that game against Maryland. And I, I could talk to you for about an hour. There's so many things. But I want to ask you about Maryland because you had one of the all-time legendary games when you knocked in 10 threes. I'm curious what you remember about that. And as a shooter, what's it feel like when you get into a zone like that? That game at Maryland, you know, my freshman year, I hit eight um, metal trembles team, um, and that was that was unbelievable. You know, I was just a young kid, you know, just 
over aggressive and confident and kind of cocky and um, obviously I went through my bumps and, and bruises in the Big Ten, you know, through the years and had my lows and to come back to Maryland, you know, after all the hate and I get throughout the Big Ten and, and Splash Ten at Maryland, you know, it's it's just like kind of like a full circle feeling, you know, when you get that, that feeling of one, two, three going in, you know, you feel like the basket's just ginormous and everything you throw up is going to go either in or it's going to be right there and um, you know, it's, I'm just, it's the same feeling for any shooter. I think you would ask, you know, that, that feeling is, you know, top notch for sure. We're talking to Jordan Bohannon for a few more moments. I understand. I understand. Like you will always be measured by how you do in the NCAA tournament. So you've got a ton of work ahead of you. But the fact of the matter is you played your high school ball in Iowa. You were Mr. Basketball in Iowa. So what has this time as a Hawkeye meant to you? I have cherished every single moment. You know, it's been a, literally a dream come true to come to Iowa City, play at a school that my dad played at, to play at a school that, you know, my brothers kind of were overlooked at and they wanted to go here and so many people wanted to go here. And um, Life came full circle for me to be here at this university and been gifted another year to play here after, you know, a miserable COVID year that we all experienced in, in life last year. Um, you know, like I said from, you know, earlier that I've just cherished every single moment I've been here. This is literally a, what every little kid dreams about when they're in the backyard in Iowa City or wherever they're in Iowa. It's such a tight-knit community and um, a place that I will forever call home. Jordan, I'm kind of curious. Like, I don't know if you can speak for your dad, but I actually literally – I've got a son who plays high school baseball, and I literally – posted something on Instagram because my kid is he's Logan he's a junior in high school he hit the three guys in the first inning of a game and this is just a league game it's not a big deal at all right but every game is a big game when you're a parent and your kid's playing he works out he gets the win I literally am posting on Instagram about my high school baseball kid I'm curious what it means because your dad went there and you've had the career that you've had super high level stuff what's that do for your relationship what's it like for you and your dad to experience this together you know, a lot of tears, a lot of yelling, a lot of a lot of sweat was, you know, obviously coming happened with my dad, you know, through the years. So to kind of have full circle point on my dad's school, and you know, my dad's a legend. Let me tell you, like when I came to Iowa, everyone was saying, "Oh, oh, you're Gord Bohan's kid." Like your your dad was literally a legend here. He he helped turn around the Iowa football program, and you know, to live up those expectations was super hard and. You know, he was so, you know, great helping me through the years of understanding the highs and lows of life, understanding, you know, like I said, keeping your circle tight and, and just cherishing every single day because life is so fragile. I think all those, you know, little nuggets of advice have helped me immensely going through the years. And um, our, our relationship is, you know, unreal. It's I, I literally ask him about anything and he helps me through everything he can. And he's shared so much of his own life that's helped me out so much. Hey, shoot me straight. Like, do you always love being the legends kid or are there moments where you're like, man, I got to be my own guy. I ask you that because I've got another son and he wants to be in the media. My older boy who goes to Wisconsin. Sometimes he's like, Hey, no offense, pop. I'm really proud of you, but I'm my own dude. But then there are other times like when maybe he might need something, he'll start a, a cover letter and I'm in the first line. So it's both those things. I'm kind of curious about you and your dad. <laughs> I yeah I don't know I I like being under my dad's shadow because I look up to him so much he's literally my hero you know when I when I have a family I want to be just like him he literally has done everything for us he worked he's from South Pasadena actually Southern California love it and, um, he came back to Iowa was recruited by Hayden Fry to come to Iowa and 
Um, he sold him a dream of coming back to South Pasadena one day and playing the Rose Bowl. That's exactly what he did. And, you know, if it wasn't for Hayden Fry, you know, I wouldn't be on this earth where I am right now. So it's kind of crazy how life has came full circle like it has. And um, I, I'll, I'll never want to be above my dad. My dad is literally my hero, and he, he has done so much for our family and myself. Goosebumps, dude. That, that is amazing. That is such a great story. Jordan, one last thought, and I could spend a half hour on this, but I just want to delve into this really, really quickly before you go. When we talk about your legacy at Iowa, obviously some of it's still unwritten, but part of it will be your role in advancing the cause of athletes. Back in 2019, you tweeted a photo of a rug that the NCAA had as part of March Madness. The caption was, quote, give us the ability to make money off our own name and we'll give you your rug back. You have 24 hours, NCAA. I'm curious, what kind of thoughts were you having when you tweeted that? Did you have any idea how significant that was going to be? I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You know, my brother, Zach, who played at Wisconsin, one of the smartest dudes I have ever, you know, been around. He uh, he kind of got me into this college advocating role, and I've actually been employed by the NCPA, the National uh, College Player Association, these last two years. Um, this last year, I've been employed since NIL became a thing, and um, I've learned so much about the business behind college athletics, and I've talked to you know hundreds of, if not thousands, of athletes these last you know eight months of hearing their stories and understanding where they came from and their backgrounds, and um, trying to help them out and being the advocating athlete and um, understanding the business, like I said, behind the scenes. And you know, I've met with Mark Emmert, I've met with these U.S. senators to try to you know pass these bills, met with local legislators. Um, I've, I've done it all these last eight months to try to help the future of college athletics, and there's still a lot of work to do, but uh, what myself, Geo Baker, and Isaiah Livers were able to do last year with the non-NCAA tournament um, campaign, it was just extraordinary, and that has shifted college athletics forever. I think that's super heady stuff. And then one bonus follow-up, because you mentioned your brother. So my feeling is my son, Jake, our son, Jake, who goes to Wisconsin, my feeling is nobody who has ever gone there has ever had anything other than an amazing experience. The Badger Mafia is real now. That's a real thing. What about your brother? What was that experience like for him? You know, I grew up as a Badger fan, too. That's, just, that's what's so crazy about this all. And, you know, Badger fans obviously hate me. It's pretty it's pretty known. Um but, you know, I, I've, I have nothing but respect for that school and that staff. Joe Krabinoff is on staff there with a teammate. My other brother, Jason, went to Wisconsin. And um, that, that school has given so much to our family and so much memories are made in that cold center. And I can't, I can't say enough great things about, about that place. It's just a beautiful campus, it's a beautiful city, and um, so many great people I met there. You know, I promise you there will be a day when I do not have to talk about the Lakers getting their asses beat yet again. Unfortunately, today is not that day. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lakers did get their asses beat again, slammed into a locker yesterday by that same team that slammed them into a locker during the playoffs last year. Curb stomped so badly by the Suns, there aren't even any teeth to pick up off the ground. Because they all just got ground up into enamel powder. I just made that phrase up. Enamel powder. Powderized enamel. Like that purple and gold Titanic is still sinking. It's just sinking slowly and painfully into the freezing cold ocean. And I'm not totally sure everybody on board knows how bad that situation is. Incredibly. As impossible as that is to believe. 
Which brings us to Anthony Street Clothes Davis. Anthony Street Clothes Davis. That's Chuck. Chuck gets credit for that. AD managed to make some headlines yesterday, but of course not because he suited up for the game. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Psst, please. That would not only be pretty funny, that'd be crazy. And not because he had a timeline for his return. I mean, come on, that'd be miraculous. That's not what he made headlines for. He did, in fact, meet with the media, though, for the first time since that foot sprain exactly one month ago. He actually did meet with the media and actually did have a, quote, update on his status. Here's his update on his status. Quote, I'm trying to get back on the court as soon as possible. As far as a number or something, I would love to say 100, but with only a certain amount of games yet, not 100% sure, end of quote. All right, so there's your update. Your update is there is no update. Maybe we'll see AD on the court again this year, and maybe we won't, which is essentially his permanent status, right? Maybe he'll play, maybe he won't. Is that not always his status? Maybe he's going to take some jump shots today for the first time in a month. Maybe. So if he does, I guess that's something. If nothing counts as something, then it's something. If it isn't already obvious, that giant nothing burger is not really why I'm bringing up AD today. That, that would never make the show because that's nothing. I'm bringing up AD because somehow AD thought yesterday would be a good time to stir some bleep, to run his mouth at the Suns, a.k.a. the best team in the NBA right now. Somebody asked Street Clothes if his groin injury is the main reason why the Lakers lost to Phoenix in the playoffs last year. And this is how A.D. decided to answer that question. Again, I quote, It was. We know that. They know that. They got away with one. End of quote. All right, now that right there is not nothing. That's the time when you should have answered with nothing. Or given the other team credit for being, you know, better than you. He literally just said, oh no, that's the reason we lost. I got hurt. You know it, they know it, we all know it. Yeah, I don't know if they know it, AD. I don't know that they know that or think that or are cool with Mr. Glass saying that. That's the dude spouting off about the first place sons. Like you've been nowhere to be seen or heard from while your team is going down the toilet. You're going to show up for the first time in a month and say they were lucky to beat you? That they only beat you because you weren't there? That he did the thing he always does and got hurt. Yeah, they beat us. They beat us because, well, I did the thing I always do. Got hurt. While the Suns did the thing that they've been doing since that series, beating the living crap out of the Lakers. And then what did the Suns do with that information? Exactly that. They beat the living crap out of the Lakers again. They ran L.A. right out of the gym again. And it didn't take very long either. It was 48-22 at the end of one, which is the most points the Lakers have allowed in a first quarter in the shot clock era. You know, since 1955. 
Phoenix hung a buck 40 on them last night. They won by 29, but only because they emptied their bench for the entire fourth quarter. Somebody should ask AD how much the Lakers would have lost by if he actually did suit up and play last night. Maybe then they keep it within 20. I mean, the Suns really got away with one, didn't they? Really lucky last night. I mean, can you imagine any Laker popping off about anything at all right now? Any Laker bumping their gums about anything at all right now? Especially Lakers who aren't even suiting up, A.D.? How laughable is that? But far be it from me. I don't even need to be the one. I'll let somebody who matters be the one to talk about how laughable that is. Because nobody was laughing harder than Devin Booker, which is what he literally did after the game. He laughed out loud. Nah, that's just going to happen anyways. I just think it's funny. Why do you think it's funny? It just is. I know what you're trying to do, Dwayne, but... Nah, it's just all the ifs, and, you know, if if was a fit, we'd all be drunk. If my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. You know, it's, it's a lot of ifs in this game, and, you know, you look at history along the lines, like, there's some something that comes up for every team during every season, so, you know, instead of just taking the high route and going, you have to make a comment like that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny. First of all, quote, if it was a fifth, we'd all no, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk is a great line. I'm gonna be honest with you, I've never heard that before. If if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. And the if line about the ant we'd all be drunk. Run that, Alvin. What do you say about his aunt? If my auntie had some maternal legs, she'd be my uncle. You know, it's it's a lot of he also chased that with, if my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. If my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. If if were a fifth, we'd all be drunk. And if my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. You know, if, if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. If my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. Hell yeah, Devin. That is so good. AD. AD, what's good, baby? What's good, baby? You heard what he just said? AD's like, oh yeah, if I played, we would have won. They know it. We know it. Everybody knows it. And Devin Booker's just laughing after they beat them down again. If if we're a fifth, we'd all be drunk. And if my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. You know, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. If my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. My man, well done. If if was a fifth, LeBron, Roblo, Palenka, Genie, Phil, Trage, the Rambi, they'd all be fighting each other for heavy pours. They'd all be blasted. The Brain Trust will take their if on the rocks. They'll take their if neat. They'll take their if straight out the bottle. Any way they can get it, man. They take their if in an IV drip. And they'd also like, if, if were an if, they'd like to give Russ back. They'd like to trade for... DeMar DeRozan instead. They'd like to re-sign Caruso. They'd like to go back in time to make the Chris Paul trade go through. But if, unfortunately, is not a fifth. 
if is just a word that losers use to make excuses. And frankly, that's what the Lakers sound like these days. That's what they sound like, and that's what they look like. These dudes are losers. If that's what you're going with when you're getting your asses beat that badly, yeah, I'd even drop back on them. Since it's hard to tell whether or not they're even aware of what's going on, I'm happy to keep saying it. Or I'll let my man Scotty Farrell say it for me. What, Braun? Yeah, and you need to stop ruining good movies. Nobody wants to hear from losers. Nobody wants to hear their excuses. Nobody wants to deal with their drama. And nobody wants to watch their horrible movies. Loser. Since you guys can't stop sucking on the court, at least you could do is stop embarrassing yourselves off it and setting yourselves up for classic, classic retorts like the one we got from Devin Booker when it was put to him that, hey, AD over there says that you guys were lucky to win, that you wouldn't have won if he played. If, if, if. Yo, Devin, what do you make of if? You know, if if was a fit, we'd all be drunk. If my auntie had some maternal legs, she'd be my uncle. It's the best. That, that's some first-team All-NBA stuff right there. If if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. If my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. What else you got, bro? Devin, I know you have more. I know you have more. I like both <laughs> those. The, the auntie-uncle line is a variation on a line that I used to use back in the day. There's a few versions of that, but they all work. Especially when AD shows up for the first time in a month and actually addresses the media, and that's what comes flying out of his pie hole. What's good, baby? Nothing. I'll tell you what's not good. Your team. Nothing about your team is yeah, good except LeBron. LeBron's out here like at age 80, dropping in 70. Like, how the hell is this guy still doing this? And he is. And for what? For who? For what? LeBron's got to be really like, for who? For what? I'm 37. I'm putting in 50. For who? For what? So we can get blasted in the playing game? Hey, I got, a, I got a little riddle for you. If my auntie had something between her legs, what would she be? My uncle? If my auntie had something between her legs, she'd be my uncle. That's good stuff. Like, if a clone were to say that, that would not be good stuff. But if an NBA star says it, it's really good stuff. <laughs> this one's directed to Romy Burger. Wait, AD actually talked to the media? Great. Now he's out for four more weeks with sore vocal cords. After the street clothes, David. V in the fee. At Kurt Orban test. Also a great handle. <laughs> the Lakers aren't that bad. Regards Space Jam 2. Well done. Kurt Orban. The only thing worse than the Lakers is Space Jam 2. Both are extraordinarily embarrassing, but Space Jam 2 is extremely offensive. God, literally the worst movie ever. And there have been some really bad movies. How, how do you take an unbelievable franchise like Space Jam 1, an iconic movie, a cult classic, Ionic. and then do what Braun did to Space Jam 2? Like, dude, there, there are any number of things you can apologize for doing Cleveland the way you did them when you left them. Take that. 
which was terrible. Like, go ahead and leave. I, I never faulted him for that whole super team thing or wanting to take his talents to South Florida. I just had a problem with the way he did it. Like, if you're going to go on live TV, there is no way you're going to inform the Cavalier fan base that you're leaving them. I mean, you only do that to stay. He stabbed them in the heart on live TV. It was so wrong. Take my town so take that. Beach. And again, I never had a problem with him leaving and joining forces with Wade, Bosch, et al. He had his right. But handled it a certain way. Good night now!